0: 127 from your friends at linktothecast.eu, available on all your favourite podcasting platforms, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Podcast Addict and Stitcher. I'm your party host, Dave Ryan, and I am joined on the line not by Mark Robinson, uh, who is on assignment at the moment, but by the man recently dubbed the Bacon Jam Baron, Jack Lazell. How are you, my friend? I'm alright, mate. Have you got any bacon jam? I haven't, but I, I did go to our favourite eatery. Uh, in Dublin last week, and sent you a photo from it, I think, You'd, or at least I sent you a photo right before I got to it. Uh, token in Dublin, the the barricade that's come up so many times on this show that I feel like we should be getting a cut of the profit. I definitely to be feel like they've
1: slipped you a few euros to uh, to get involved in the show. But yeah, that that bacon jam is glorious. Like in there was some parmesan as well. Mm-mm.
0: Mm I had the, uh, the the barbecue brisket chili cheese fries. <laughs> Uh, basically meant week. to be and that's... fries but
1: it's a, it's a whole meal
0: dude there's a lot going on in that dish and it's probably a meal in and of itself but i did what we in the the mick Grab circles called the full zig or the full barry and that was i got those loaded fries and i also got tenders with that
1: ah uh, do it um, just just do it don't even think about it just get a ridiculous yeah. amount of food and own it
0: yeah, and then our, our mutual friend who who was with me uh, having food, Aideen, she pushed us to kind of between us split the the mozzarella sticks. And let me tell you, they are less mozzarella sticks in token and more mozzarella truncheons. Um, Jesus Dave, Christ. what are they paying things... you? <laughs> <laughs> it's not enough, whatever it is. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Zero is not enough. Uh, but yeah, we won't dwell I'm too I'm going to start talking about talking.
1: Bodine's and see if I can get a cut of that action, because god damn, <laughs> that's some good barbecue right there.
0: Even, even if we can get our own booth, you know, like Kevin Smith has his, ha- had his toilet in the Prince Charles Cinema, if we could get like a booth and a Bodine's with photos of the two of us enjoying Bodine's. I don't care,
1: man. I'll take a urinal. The, the Jack Laezell yeah. Memorial urinal, even though I'm still alive. The,
0: yeah, the Jack Luzell. Oh, nice. I
1: like what you did there.
0: There he is. Um, how have you been, buddy? How are things? Like, it's been a while since we've spoken, because, kind of, when we last tried to record a popcorn social was at the height of, uh, the technical difficulties period. Dave, I'm gonna name the a podcast. hob after
1: you, and I'm gonna call it Dave Fryan.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I could picture you furiously trying to jot down my ah! name and think of puns. <laughs> I actually had that a lot earlier, but you were still speaking, and I didn't want to jump over you, because it just seemed less classy. <laughs> But uh, how are things anyway? Any any, any kind of non-movie, because we're hopefully going to record a popcorn social thing, but any non-movie, non-video game stuff uh, <laughs> that you've been doing recently? Because <laughs> that's a pretty short list for me, to be honest, I'm but I am just going to box thing. out
1: all of, the, uh, all of the things. Yeah, so I've been to a lot of live sport recently. I've been to three weeks in a row's worth of NFL games. Loving it. Uh, been to every... Chelsea home game and a couple of away games start of the season loving it still haven't seen us lose so can't really beat that uh I would to see progress on Saturday um for I know you talk a bit of wrestling sometimes Walter and Zack Saber mm-hmm. junior match is one of the matches of the year and everyone should watch it
0: uh mm-hmm. yeah so all of those good things S- similarly I will say to you Walter and Osprey if you haven't seen that yet from yeah uh, Four-year anniversary my 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 giddy aunt walter is on a tear this oh, year he's
1: he's he's just the best probably in the world at having different variations of, of yeah. matches at the moment i I, don't, I can't think of anyone on the independent scene that's doing better than well
0: this than is him. this actually came up uh last night on the tweet machine as we're recording this a so sunday night not to detract too far this isn't going to become a grapple but all of a sudden, but just one point is that like I I do for me Walter is the MVP of the Indies this year. Uh, I don't think anyone touches him. But uh, there was an argument broke out last night last night between uh, our our pod dad Alan Farrell and uh, wrestling journalist David Bixenspan, uh, affectionately referred to as Bix, uh, where Bix was trying to make the the argument that Joey Janela was in fact the MVP of the Indies this year. Um, yeah, no, and like. Yeah, like, I can see if you take a very myopic US-exclusive view of things that, like, Joey kind of moves the needle a little. Um, like, even just before we recorded here, he sold out Spring Break in, like, 10 minutes for Mania Weekend, and some of those tickets were $175. So, he, like, even his name is definitely a draw on the indies, but I think from what you want from an MVP is not only... Drawing people in, which Walter does, but match quality and and as much as I enjoy Joey Janela matches, and uh, he injured himself four or five weeks ago, I, I, I honestly I don't think anyone touches Walter on that uh, like fr- from that perspective on the Indies at the moment. They don't, but I I see jo-
1: Joey janela's like the plucky underdog, isn't he? He's like, you know, look at Bournemouth, look at what they're doing in the Premier League at the moment. <laughs> Like, (laughs) they don't have the the quality in the strength and depth of anyone else of, of, say, like a Man City, Mm. but then, like, Walter is Man City. He just comes along and not only does he have it visually, but he has, like, the genuine technical ability. So, yeah, yeah. It, I, that's how I see that going. I just want to immediately, like, swerve it to a football metaphor just because I miss the <laughs> I miss the Away Goals podcast. Dave, by the way, we're just dancing on the grave of a million different podcasts here because we've got, like, the, the Away Goals podcast is R.I.P. Yeah. We haven't done a wrap-up in ages for R.I.P. Uh, I mean, yeah. the popcorn social isn't quite R.I.P. yet, but I'd imagine no. that someone will be donning the re-aurora music in the background soon unless we record one of those (laughs) bad boys
0: yeah well look we have tentative plans on that but i'm not gonna say when because the last couple of times i've said exactly when we're gonna record we've ended up not we're gonna Um, record it in six
1: minutes time
0: (laughs) yeah the grab up the grab up is harder to do because usually that's you me barry and mark and that's really hard to get all four of us around especially now that i have my job um And the hours are a little erratic with that, but, like, you know, wait and see, folks. The, the wrap up isn't gone. Dave, can uh, we I, please start another podcast that we yeah. do, like, three episodes on? No, no, <laughs> no. Come no. on. No, Jack, because literally, I'll tell you off the air, but I literally just about two or three days ago agreed to do another one. Oh. Um... With somebody else... Uh, Wait, are you, che- are you on cheating on the link the to the, the cast year. network with someone else? No, no, it will appear under our umbrella, but uh, yeah, the less said about it, the better, because it's... Well, it's a concept that was loosely mentioned as a joke once on this show, but I'm actually taking it and turning it into probably a monthly thing. Is it about but, um, history? No, it's not. Is it? Jesus it ab- Christ. Dan, Dan Carlin has that corner covered with hardcore history, dropping fucking four or five-hour podcasts every few weeks. Like, I wouldn't, wouldn't fucking dare... But uh anyway, let's, oh, let's no, get no, what the... your
1: podcast can you just you don't have to to tell us who who you're doing it with or when you're gonna start it? Can you tease us and tell us what it's about
0: Let's just say <laughs> it's about cheese no, let's just say I'll say one sentence about it, and that's that suckers got to know <laughs> that's all I'm gonna say okay that's all I'm gonna say that's all that's all you're getting well you, you I'll tell you off the air but that's all the listeners are getting right now but look for look for that new podcast in early 2019 is where we're we're aiming for but anyway uh before we get on to video games the one thing I did want to talk about jack is uh I've got myself caught up because I was sick over this weekend when I was supposed to have like four and a half days off and uh between this weekend and last weekend I, I've caught up on a bunch of TV uh, you and I, big fans of the the big screen, as everybody knows with uh, uh, with popcorn social. But we also fans of the small screen, and um, I was kind of because we're in this weird golden age of TV where there's so much good stuff coming out all the time. Uh, instead of the old difficulty, which was having to wait a year or two and hope that someone would put out a box set that I could buy. Now it's a case of, Jesus, I need to find the time because these shows are coming out thick and fast and half of them are on Netflix. Um, oh, did you watch so Daredevil I've, season three? This is what we're about to talk about. Ah, I um, saw it too! So the two shows I want to talk about are Making a Murderer season two, which I finished, and Daredevil season three, which I am on the very last episode of, but we won't be spoiling it anyway. <laughs> That's Um, what you think. So, are you a Making a Murderer guy, Jack? I
1: watched the first series, and I got (laughs) super mad at it, and I haven't revisited it since.
0: Yeah, you're not going to be any less mad. I'll put it that way. Uh, (laughs) Season two is interesting, um, because season two is the season of Making a Murderer that takes place in a world where Making a Murderer has already come out, so it's very kind of self-aware of kind oh. of how it they did has... the human
1: centipede thing, where the, the second movie was about how the first movie inspired other events.
0: Yeah. It's it's absolutely a Tom Six joint. Um, the, uh, the the way By the By the way, when I said like the... we're
1: recording a popcorn social in six minutes, I wasn't kidding. <laughs> Welcome to the popcorn social. <laughs> Take your um... oversized drink and shove it up your ass, or whatever you say in the intro. <laughs> um.
0: So, yeah, it's it it's very self-aware of, like, that um, Making a Murderer came out and how it's affected the case and how it's affected the kind of public push for justice and things like that. So it tries to handle that. Uh, you be the judge of whether you think they're kind of even-handed about it. Um, there's a new uh, lawyer on the scene in this season that's helping with Stephen Avery's case that's trying to free him. Uh, a woman called Kathleen Zellner, who is like, I am scared to death of this woman. Uh, to, borrow fr- <laughs> to borrow a a joke from John Mulaney, I bet an interesting way to kill yourself would be to cut in front of Kathleen Zellner in line and say, Hey lady, calm down. <laughs>
1: uh,
0: she scares the shit out of me. And she is uh, really good. And it's kind of a season about... Um, one, how the, the appeals are progressing, and two, about this this new lawyer who is trying to plug holes in the state's case against Stephen Avery. Um I don't think it it it's one of these things, like if you follow any true crime podcast or, or TV series, once you know about the case from the first season, uh the cat is kind of out of the bag. It doesn't have that Moorish surprise factor that I think this first season had. That said, I think it's about as interesting a documentary series as you could have done with what has happened since. Um, it's much tougher to avoid spoilers because a lot of any time since Making a Murder came out, any developments in the case become international news. So most people sitting down to watch Making a Murder Season 2 already know exactly what the status of Brendan, Dassey and Stephen Avery is as of as of now. Uh, So it's kind of hard. It doesn't have the twists and turns that that did. Same with um, uh, those Paradise Lost documentaries and the West Memphis Three. Uh, As soon as you knew where they ended up, um, the the Peter Jackson, what was that called? West of Memphis, wasn't it? Where, yeah, Peter Jackson did a documentary that was basically the the three Paradise Lost documentaries compressed into one. Uh, Once you saw that, even though it was probably a better made documentary than um, Paradise Lost, because you knew the case intimately. It wasn't as good. Um, but yeah, it's, I, I enjoyed it. If you enjoyed season one, you'll probably enjoy it. If season one made you mad, season two will probably make you even madder. Uh, because they, they start to, you really get under the hood as to just how shoddy a job the, the prosecution and the investigators did in basically, it, well, if you believe that it, Avery is innocent, in trying to pin it on him, um, because there are a lot more uh, credible alternate theories in this season. We'll, we'll say that much, Jack. will we'll yeah, because
1: in the I first season, I was just like, you know, the second murder. Um, yeah, I was just like, okay, right. It doesn't seem like him and and Brendan like were involved. Sorry, yeah, the nephew is called. He's called Brendan, isn't he? Yeah. Brendan Dassey. Yeah, yeah. Brendan. Yeah. Yeah. It didn't seem like they were involved, but at the same time, the whole time I'm just sat there thinking, well, who the fuck did it then? (laughs) Like, nobody cut this woman up and, like, burned her or whatever the fuck happened to her. Like, some hideous thing happened to Mm. this person. And yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, so I would. I am now going to go and watch it because I would like yeah. to know a credible theory as to.
0: Oh, it's gonna it's gonna make you super. Mad. People don't just it's cut themselves
1: like... up and set themselves on fire. I yeah. found that guy. Um, was it like a brother or like a? It was a family member, and he was just a of
0: of whose a, of
1: the woman who died.
0: Uh oh! I can't remember. I know brendan's brother gave off vibes to some people because there's a lot of theories on him on different facebook pages and on twitter and things and all i will say is that they look into the brother in season two
1: ah uh, um, okay well i
0: i didn't like her her brother or i i can't i think it was her brother he just seems she... oh are you thinking the flatmate maybe, maybe. that was he testified kind of yeah hair. that's him Yeah, yeah, the the flatmate, possible ex-boyfriend. He was
1: shady AF, my friend.
0: Mm. So I think there's three or four alternate theories put forward. One of Kathleen Zellner's things she talks about is how um, one of the things you have to do when you're mounting a defense, because the narrative and the story matters so much in these jury trials, is you have to put forward an alternate theory. You can't just say they didn't do it. You have to, like, put... Uh, extreme doubt on the idea that they could have possibly done it by coming up with credible alternate theories uh, and as well you can make a case or a verdict fall apart if you can prove uh, that the prosecution didn't give uh, a fair chance to those alternate ideas that they kind of went single-mindedly and wouldn't hear any alternates. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting. I wouldn't say it's as good as season one but definitely if you're, if you're sold on season one you'll enjoy season two and it it's a slow burn at the start because it has to deal with all the 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 fallout of making a murderer season one uh and it doesn't really go anywhere for a little while it's kind of just catching you up on what you've probably heard in the news in between uh when season one finished and season two starts but uh it it, when it gets going it gets going hard and then those last two episodes boy i got real mad um yeah so that's fucking sheriff in it again as well he sure is, and so is oh. the, the DA, and so is your man Katz, the the prosecutor. Oh, he was a jerk, weasel as well. The the press conference guy, yeah, yeah. They're all that whole wacky cast of characters returns. Um, Jack, let's talk about Daredevil.
1: I see the man without fear, um, the so, devil of Hell's but, but, Kitchen,
0: the devil of Hell's Matthew Kitchen. Matthew murder, so that blind geezer attorney, over attorney at there. law. Um, so I think the verdict on the, the Marvel fair on Netflix so far has been Daredevil season one, awesome. Yeah. Daredevil season two, not quite as good but still very enjoyable. I had, yeah. The Punisher. Seven
1: and a seven and a half out of ten the first half of that second season was outrageously good. Right up until the moment yeah. that he's talking to the Punisher in the uh in the graveyard, I was like, This yeah. is fucking groundbreaking. And then and then when it yeah. comes back and then Punishers in prison and he's like, fucking Fisk makes him fight all those dudes in the corridor. And it kind of evoked Matt in the first series where he had to rescue that little girl from that shit house, And he'd like beat a bunch of people up in the hallway. Like that was yeah. so good. And then at the end of the season, they're just like, oh yeah, by the way, it's th- this guy th- th- and the hand. And I'm like, oh, fuck it. Fuck off.
0: I hate the hand. Yeah. Oh man, we all hate the hand. Uh, I-, I think season two as well suffered from, even though Punisher was good, I think it suffered from a lack of the the overwhelming dread brought on by Wilson Fisk. I I know he's become a bit of a a meme this season. Uh, have you seen the Wilson Fisk meme, which is like asks a simple question and then the screenshot of him going, "When I was a boy, yeah, when I the <laughs> so way he, like he tends to do the, the the drawl and the the long stories and stuff like that." But I love Vincent D'Onofrio is just a he's a treasure. Yeah, but I kind of um, feel
1: like the the thing about Fisk is that he's so self obsessed that it makes yeah. sense that he launches into those long diatribes yeah I,
0: I, I think so but i also if people are sick of the diatribes i get that as well because that's not everybody's cup of tea i don't uh, know man. Anyway, i yeah, can so watch that,
1: vincent d'onofrio read me a fucking children's book and i probably still shit myself while he was doing it i did,
0: i watched a lot of law and order criminal intent just because he was on that show and he's an just an excellent actor but anyway so yeah season two all right not as good um then we had the Punisher, which was pretty okay. I, I, I liked like the it. Punisher. Yeah, I I liked it not as much as I liked Jessica Jones. Season Jessica one, Jones which I was season one brilliant. is
1: the best of all of those. And I mean, I yeah. don't know if that's a controversial opinion, but it, Jessica, the relationship between um, Jessica Jones and Kilgrave.
0: Oh man, Kilgrave
1: like seriously david tennant was so creepy as Kilgrave. like i i cringed yeah. every time he was on screen he made me feel physically yeah. uncomfortable in my own house he, just watching on a laptop
0: he, he made you realize that if anything he was toning it down when he was barty crouch jr <laughs> in harry potter <laughs> all right okay i, I will not go that far because that thing where he's <laughs> like doing that weird lick with his that was awful yeah like it, yeah when uh when I, am um, to this day, still, Hello, if, I see, <laughs> if I still see a uh, friend of the show, Brian, uh, anytime I just do the Jessica to him, it, it freaks him the fuck out. So that was awesome. Season two of Jessica Jones, I still haven't read it Oh, dude, it's to, good. It's my bad. I've heard it's really good. It's just kind of like, so much TV. Like It's said, hard to list. watch,
1: though, because it's about, it's dissecting her relationship with her mother, and there's yeah. some really heavy going stuff. And mm, that's
0: what that's what I've heard. And I was like, I was not in the mood for a kind of a depressing show at that point. But I, I think I'll revisit it now because I have my steam back after watching uh, Daredevil. But anyway, let's just zip through this because I'm conscious of ah, how long the segments. Luke going Cage, on for. season um, one. So Great. Luke Cage, Luke Cage, I loved, season two. I loved, mm, but still good. Yeah, um, Iron Fist can get in the bin and and, although i
1: i must say there's a little bit in season two where i am fist and luke k took up and i i do think
0: it's kind of cool heroes for hire um i and i because the defender series was so contingent on danny rand and on the hand i didn't like it
1: yeah just Um, fuck the hand honestly although there is one bit that i think is really cool is uh when they're all in that the Golden Circle building. At first, I think it's Golden Circle. Anyway, and they're fighting, and Matt takes Jessica's scarf and wears that as like a, a sort of like he kind of looks like if H and M did a daredevil costume. <laughs> 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 and I'm like, this is rad, man. But uh, yeah, but at.
0: Let, let's get brief, spoiler-free thoughts on season three. Uh, personally, Jack, uh, before I hand it off to you, I think this is a return to form for the series and it's no small coincidence that Vincent D'Onofrio is heavily involved this season. Uh, if you've seen any of the trailers, you know Kingpin is back, uh, in a manner of speaking. He's he's a looming presence, both as an actual character and as kind of like a phantom haunting uh, Matt Murdock as he's kind of uh recovering from the 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 events of um the defenders and season two of uh Daredevil but um yeah, I really enjoyed this season uh what did you think of it
1: yeah, I really liked it um it kind of my main issue at the start it kind of felt a little bit slow now, I know that's because. In theory, like if you just watched the end of the Defenders and then went straight into Daredevil season three, it wouldn't feel slow because Matt Murdock was in like some like drastic accident in a building. Yeah. Um. So him gradually getting his powers back and being nursed back to health by nuns. He he was essentially hit with a building. Yeah. They 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 crushed him under the weight of a building. Um. Which is fair. Uh. Spoilers though. Uh. But after that like it picked up the pace and what i loved is they gradually unfolded wilson fisk as like you kind of you start off and you see him get like stabbed in prison and you're like oh okay like he feels like really vulnerable and really weak and then yeah. you realize um,
0: i find i find that plays off season 1 where i think they they humanized him a lot yeah they kind of, you know, that that one episode where they delved really, f- really into his backstory and why he is the way he yeah. is. Um, but and and yeah, I I think this part that you're talking about now really plays off that very well. It
1: does, and and but I, what I like is when he eventually like comes out of 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 prison, like really early on in the series. And at first, you still he still seems like this kind of like hen pecked man who's who's just a shadow of his former self but as as you sort of go on over the course of the series you see that it's all kind of clicking into place that that he planned for it to be this way and then by the time he sort of sorts out where he's staying and he puts on the suit again for the first time man like you just get really everything that you see of him then and and there's like a looming presence over the whole series. Any time, <laughs> you know the episode of The Simpsons where with Poochie and Homer's like, any time Poochie's not on the screen, all the other characters should be asking where's poochie it's kind of like that but like not in a bad way just in a way that it's like Mm. everything that the characters are focused on when they're when they're alone is like how are we gonna nail this fucker because he is dangerous like and you you feel that existential dread of all the other characters all the way through and and i think that's Mm. perfectly played off and again the guy that plays matt murdoch is so 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 good like yeah charlie cox one one of your countrymen isn't yeah He's unbelievable in that role, to the point where it now feels like if anyone else ever takes on that mantle, I, I, they've got a lot to live up to. I, I, I love him. I think he's class. Um, I yeah. I don't know how other people necessarily feel, because I have seen a few negative comments on him, but I just can't help but love him. He's such a lovable guy. Even when he's being a douchebag in the show, you still just can't help but, like, want to be on his side. So, yeah, I, I don't know where they go from here. I, I feel like... Marvel at Netflix is kind of coming to an end because of Marvel streaming services but I'm glad we got this like one last really great uh, Daredevil thing because I I noticed they shuffled loose this mortal coil for uh, Luke Cage and for Iron Fist one is sad one no one gives a shit about so yeah I I see this they finish up that last series of Jessica Jones and then they kind of move off into the sunset and then eventually Marvel maybe gets all the shows back and continues them or that's it and you can get it on marvel streaming platform disney streaming platform yeah
0: i am i really enjoy not to spoil it but the the person who is kind of because of the circumstances uh kingpin is still uh let's say he's not out and about for a lot of this season and um there's sort of a, a proxy antagonist for daredevil throughout this season And it's uh, a villain from a well-known Daredevil villain. And I think the twist they do on him is very interesting. And they build it nice and slowly. But it took me a while to realize what they were doing for sure. I kind of was just... uh, There's a couple of occasions where I'm just like, Is that... Oh, are they... Oh, oh, oh. And it wasn't until maybe about episode seven where I was like, okay yeah this is what they're doing this is pretty damn yeah. good
1: this guy has ridiculous um, <laughs> aim i wonder who he could
0: possibly be <laughs> indeed it's dead shot uh <laughs> um yeah so like that's that's pretty great um enjoyed this season um We'll be sorry to see it end, but i got one episode left, and then the two things I still have on my schedule, well, apart from, as we discussed, Jessica Jones Season 2, I really want to watch The Haunting of Hill House, which everybody says is an amazing horror anthology series, and also I really want to watch The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, uh, because apparently it's excellent. It looks really fun, uh, yeah. And Salem is in uh, it. When I heard
1: Salem was in it, I'm like, okay, I'm on board, because if they try to make Sabrina without Salem, they could seriously get to fuck.
0: And if ever you're feeling down, do yourself a favour and look up the photos because the cat that plays Salem walked the red carpet at the premiere and it was adorable.
1: <laughs> Did they get him a little tuxedo? Uh,
0: no, but he has like a little tuft of white under his collar so it kind of looks like one. <laughs> um, so yeah, that, that was That's awesome. That's the best anyway. news
1: I've heard all day. So thanks <laughs> to, to tuning into the Popcorn Social. On next week's <laughs> episode,
0: we'll talk about Bohemian <laughs> Rhapsody. Don't forget, we're also talking about Gone in 60 Seconds when we do that uh, show. Oh, look, can we just but, uh, do that
1: now? No. Anyway, so about <laughs> no, Nicholas, we got to talk about Aww. fucking,
0: motherfucker, we got to talk about some video games. Oh, yeah. So let's it's go. It's not like
1: there's been any good versions of those out recently. Right, no, Dave? No, Through to clip.
0: Hey, check it out. I learned the baseline from Final Fantasy II. Scott, you are the salt of the earth. Well, oh, thanks. I meant scum of the earth. Thanks, Jack. There is one video game and one video game alone that we need to talk about here because I imagine it's going to take up a preponderance of time, and that is Red Dead Redemption Two. Holy hell! Um, I think the the umbrella term for this discussion will be the phrase "Slow West." <laughs> yeah. Um, so it, it's come out, and as we'll be talking about later in the show, in the news, uh, it's doing fairly well. Um, fairly well. Not. Yeah, yeah, not GTA Five numbers, but those are completely just disproportionately ridiculous numbers. But it's doing it's doing damn well. It's got uh, just high scores being thrown at its feet, left, right, and center. Um, early impressions, Jack, of uh, Red Dead Redemption Two, because I I I would be inclined to be on the higher end of scoring it, but I also have some things about it that that I want to talk about just uh just wow i
1: I can't i I feel like I've played the game for maybe ten ten twelve hours, maybe over the course of the last three or four days. I've had quite a busy weekend and I still managed to fit that much in. I feel like I maybe scratched like two percent of the surface of what this game is capable of there is yeah.
0: so much depth here, and the the scale is yeah daunting.
1: Outrageous. I was just riding around on a horse for, like, two or three in-game days, and I've maybe uncovered like yeah. a quarter of the map. Mm-hmm. I, I racked up a, a $300 bounty <laughs> in, one, in
0: yeah, you, one county. As we'll probably talk about, you're a bit of a... You tend to be a black hat player, uh, whereas I'm I'm going white hat at the moment, doing... Doing generous deeds Dave, like. I
1: don't want to, but when I play Red Dead Redemption, I just turn into a homicidal maniac. <laughs> and I don't really do this that much on GTA. I do like I do yeah. go on sprees or whatever. Like if I was playing GTA 5 and I was playing this Trevor, I'm like, well yeah, I definitely <laughs> need to send a rocket launcher into this shop. Why wouldn't I? Um but when I was playing I I'm not an outlaw man, I'm riding around the old west. If someone rides up on me in the middle of the countryside, I'm going to probably shoot him in the face. I, I can't help myself. <laughs> it's
0: a natural yeah, reaction. I'm just
1: like, well, if I'm basically Billy the Kid, then I might as well act like Billy the fucking Kid.
0: <laughs> so one of the things we talked about with this game in our private chat with our mates um, is the, the opening segment of the game, which I think maybe for people who like to be immediately in the thick of it, This is not their kind of opening. They're not their kind of tutorial. Uh, But as a mood setting piece, uh, that also sort of tricks you into learning the systems of the game. I really, really liked it. And it just kind of, it really slaps its graphical dick on the table in terms of just showing you the the particle effects with the snow and the draw distance and just everything that that game can do uh, under the hood. Uh, it's. What did you think at the start? I was getting real, and this is because I watched the movie again recently. But real hateful eight vibes, yeah, off the, you know, off the opening of that game between like the, they're not strangers, but a group of people stranded in the old in around the death of the old west, and they're 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 all stranded together trying to survive, wait out the storm. Yeah, it felt a lot like
1: that. I. I felt like the opening to this game was a little bit slower than I would have wanted to, but then that's just because I'm yeah. very. When it comes to an open world game, I think Spider-Man spoiled me a lot because I started playing Spider-Man, mm. and like within you know five ten minutes of of playing that game, you could just be swinging around a perfectly realized New York City, um. So I was a bit like, oh, I have to do these missions and learn this stuff and blah blah blah. And the thing is, Dave, like, I didn't even feel like after doing all of those missions I even knew, like, a, a percentage point of what the fuck was going on in the game.
0: Yeah. I still don't. I there, There's so much and there are so many systems going on and so many meters that it really, it's not a game like a Spider-Man or like a FIFA or uh, any number of games I generally play where you can put it a show or a movie or a podcast on in the background when you're starting it you need while you're getting to grips with the game and while you're doing everything for the first time you really need to pay a hundred percent attention but i i kind of am doing that um not because i have to but because it's more so than i think any rockstar game it is way more of, of an rpg um, between the systems, the, the the upgrades, and just the 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 RPG sensibility of that, you really you get into character, you get into, you literally play the role. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm I'm walking around way more than a Kid lot Rocks, of a cowboy <laughs> 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 baby, baby,
1: exactly. My God, that's bad.
0: Uh, uh, yeah, it's just it's so it's so unbelievably immersive. The world. I I'm a sucker for an open world that doesn't feel like it was plonked there as a sandbox for you to play around in. I I am a sucker for the kind of sa- the kind of sandbox open world that feels like it was lived in and you're passing through. Agreed. Uh, the Witcher nails that. Breath of the Wild nails that. And and this is. Do you know the... what I've got to say
1: is uh, uh, there are
0: a lot. There's a lot of
1: drawbacks to the actual game. I thought Far Cry Five kind of nailed that as well.
0: Yeah, it feels. yeah, I I will say that Far Cry 5 and 4 before it, uh which I was a big fan of. Uh there was one I had there in my head as well. Um in terms of, Oh, Horizon Zero Dawn, Ooh, last yeah, year. that's good. Um a world that feels inhabited. Um and where it feels like it, one of the things this game excels at that they're just the, the Rockstar just showing off is what feels like really emergent moments um things that you feel like you just happen upon that weren't necessarily automatically triggered because you were going past like it feels like this event was scripted to happen whether you were there to see it or not um different interactions between whether it's uh, different characters at your camp or people within a town that are walking up to each other there's some really fun moments uh I, i like to sometimes just go back to the camp walk around and observe people see what they're doing uh, see what the AI subroutines are, are programmed to do. It, it, it's it's real interesting stuff. The the, the drawbacks, uh, they're not personal drawbacks, if you get what I mean. I really love this game. This game is definitely geared towards me, Um, but I very much, in an objective sense, can understand uh, both the pacing of the game, which we've both already mentioned, that it is a real slow burn, down to the fact that even just your character, Arthur Morgan, even his moving around is very slow. Not just the pace of the story or anything like that, but literal literal movement tends to be very slow minute to minute in the game. Um, as does uh, one thing that slows you down is that everything in the game has an animation and a control for the animation. And people who don't like that will tend to... ...really buck against it, uh, people who don't like that stuff in, now granted this is a much better applied version of it, but David Cage is notorious for every single time that your character has to make an action, he, he needs to make a button that does that action, and it slows things down quite considerably, and whereas in David Cage games, I think he does it just as an excuse to still call it a video game, and not just a movie uh in this i i think they do it to deliberately slow the pace they don't want this to be a a rip roaring kind of uh off the wall adventure like a gta typically do would you be. think as first people um, have
1: just come off playing spider-man which is like rapid pace everything's an explosion <laughs> of light and color and you go to this like very sort of precise, very premeditated mm. Western world where things are a little mm. bit more muted and the pace is a little bit slower, and and it it kind of like it alienates you a little bit in that sense because you're like, right, why am yeah. I not moving around? Why can I not sw- not swing from place to place, etc., <laughs> etc. Cetera, et cetera.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think the more you play it, when you get into situations where the the pace is required to quicken. Um, sometimes you're on some sort of criminal caper or sometimes <laughs> definitely you're if you me collecting... <laughs> just yeah. killing
1: dudes left right
0: and center. Sometimes you are collecting a bounty or sometimes you're in a big shootout or sometimes there's an early mission that involves you ransacking a train and the pace does quicken. It doesn't feel like you're lumbering around then. Um, but if you think about it these people walking around the west when that stuff isn't happening They obviously would be lumbering around. It's not like they could hop in a Maserati and fucking belt it around. I know Brian, who's a big RPG and a big Old West fan, is loving it, but was also saying that he was glad to finally unlock fast travel uh, because he tends to go far and wide and uncover the whole map and then start methodically picking things off. Um, Whereas I'm kind of... I'm still just my first camp valentine and a couple of little areas around there i haven't gone much further yet so the the lack of fast travel so far isn't really killing me um and plus because it's a game i like to sit back and just soak in i think i like the the long journey and just getting to see what happens and okay you know some things you miss out on when you fast travel like people that you can either help out or murder if you're a psychopath like Jack. Um, Happy <laughs> killing, damn. Um, yeah, I, I really, really like this game, and this is gonna be one of my games of the year, probably, and it's a game I'm not going to rush to get done by Game of the Year podcasts. I really want to take my time and get completely immersed in the world, but I also... I can see it being very divisive with it's people. Art, it's They're... art, though, isn't
1: it? It's it's complete yeah. art. It it it's the sort of, you know, it's the kid a right turn after an okay computer. <laughs> like y- yeah. you can see, like something so obvious like GTA V that that Rockstar have done, and then to go in this direction afterwards to re- like really do something that is a lot kind of different and a lot more slowed down and methodical is a really, is an interesting way to go. And you can tell even really early in the game how much kind of love and attention to detail has gone into the story of the game. Mm-hmm. Like, all of the characters instantly... Within the first sort of 10 15 minutes of listening to them all speak, you had a feel for them, you felt like you'd been around them for years. You know, that they all had very good sort of banter and interactions with each other. And even if you just like, like you say, you're in the camp and you just walk up to guys and talk to them, you could have like a full fleshed out conversation with people about whatever's been going on. And it, it's surprisingly yeah. detailed. Um, so yeah, I that honestly, it, it's like they thought of every possible thing you could do and i I just i can't see any flaws in it but then you know if i were to play you a symphony you know you'd have to be a very specific type of person to appreciate the depth of detail and intelligence of a symphony whereas if i played you blank space by taylor swift you'd be like i really enjoy this and i listened to it for three and a half minutes and i had fun and i could play that to like you know like a, a, a hundred thousand people and they'd like it whereas like, the people that genuinely... I mean, people will like this game. A lot of people will like this game. But the people that genuinely love it, I feel like there'll be a lot, lot less. I feel like that yeah. it will alienate people. Some people will bounce off it. But if you put time into it, like it, it's so rewarding what you get out of it.
0: And uh, yeah. I, A lot of people have compared it in that regard to GTA 4, which was the most polarizing entry in that series. See, um,
1: I, I, does Mark Mark I, I,
0: dislike... Does he like 4? Me. Oh, is it it's you? Me, okay. The... Yeah, I, I, I don't like it. I um... love GTA 4. I think it's great. Yeah. The only
1: thing that annoys me about it is the constant...
0: Can I guess? God.
1: <laughs> Cousin! Yeah, is that. Like, if you took that out of that game, it would be perfect for me. But then that's because I just love the New York City setting. Anyway, back to Red Dead Redemption 2. <laughs> Uh, that is a yeah that is a beautiful environment i i I don't know how much exploring you've done but oh
0: oh dude like the weather effects the um just some of the getting like mud or blood on your clothes um ah just it's incredible the detail the richness of the environment um one thing that feels really rewarding is when you go out hunting animals mm. in it It's a really rewarding process, provided uh I've seen this on Twitter people who didn't pay attention during that mission where they teach you how to hunt animals are having an awful time. Yeah. That's a mission you really want to bear down on, and, and, and if you want to take some notes, take some notes. There's not a whole lot to it, but if you don't get it, you're going to be stuck.
1: Unless you're um, a really good shot with that repeater rifle, yeah, you, yeah, you're... If you shoot one, like, one arrow and you slightly miss it, you can kind of change your approach and get it again, whereas if you shoot a gun, everything within, like, 100 yeah. meters around you will fucking flee for the hills.
0: Hmm. Uh, One thing I've seen a few people complain about as well, Uh, I don't know how many times this has happened to you, it's only happened to me twice both times today. For a couple of days I thought people were insane, I haven't seen it happen to me. Uh, When you get ambushed. Yeah. Uh, And it's a real, you know, if you get ambushed by cops or whatever in GTA, you definitely, even early on in the game, get the feeling that with some clever driving or some clever shooting or something like that, you can get away Uh, A lot of people are saying that the the ambushes in this game are nigh impossible to escape from. You need to basically already have your weapon drawn before you realize it's happening. And even then, and even with Deadeye, you could still be very much in trouble oftentimes. I
1: have, uh, I've had moments where someone's tried to rob me and it'll be like a group of three or four dudes. So I don't know, how many people usually ambush you if you get ambushed?
0: Uh, I had, by my count at most, I think the O'Driscolls ambushed me, and I think there was seven of them. Wow. Uh, and that was not great. Uh, the least I've had is, I think, three or four. I
1: happened on an O'Driscoll camp, and there was like five or six of them. So, uh, 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 yeah. And I was like, okay, so I... I'm currently an Englishman, and this is like meant to be like the 1800s, and I'm shooting a bunch of Irish guys. I feel very uncomfortable with this. <laughs> I thought you'd feel very comfortable. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no. <laughs> um. Yeah, it's that those moments are. Some people are having difficulty with them, but I think it's a case of. Um, The longer I play the game, the more I get used to the systems, the more confident I'm going to be. And I'm sure those ambushes won't go as badly for me going forward. But yeah, I want
1: want better weapons. That's my only gripe. And I I know they probably come later in the game. You could probably get cool Mm -hmm. upgrades for your weapons or... But I I do find the weapons kind of sluggish, and I know that's all part of mm. the design. But like I just wanna, I just wanna murder stuff. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I just wanna murder stuff in a more convenient way. So anything that can make that happen, like I'm not looking for an Old. Uzi or like a minigun or something, but just something that's something that'll make the experience better.
0: Old black hat jack, yeah. Uh, we'll be checking in on this in the coming weeks, I'm sure, and I'll be very interested once Mark eventually gets it to. To hear what he has to yeah, say, I'm ex- um, I'm,
1: my hat is so black. I am basically uh, Obsidian Raven Blackbird McKnight, essentially.
0: <laughs> and on that excellent reference, let's go into what's currently happening in video games while we talk about the news.
1: News on the march.
0: Jack, I put this one in specifically to pop you. Uh, Pokemon Go has been copied in the past, but never quite like this. JC Go is a saintly version of Pokemon Go devised by the Vatican, which tasks you with collecting famous religious figures to join your evangelization team, Italian newspaper Corriere della Sera has reported. You build up a Sunday school of saints and other biblical characters by going out and about. You'll find them hanging around in your neighborhood because where else would they be? Don't try and attack them, though. Your biblical bros will be added to your team if you simply answer some of their questions. <laughs> Otherwise, you can trundle around picking up items which allow you to eat, drink, and pray to top up your in-game levels for each stat.
1: <laughs> Isn't that basically that ja- Julia Roberts movie? <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Eat, pray, catch them all. Um, yeah, Jack, are you, uh, do you still play Pokemon Go, or uh, when did you hop I off that? I just can't be fucked. <laughs> I hopped off it, like... You got hardcore oh, into that dude, game for I a while. was going, It was genuinely worrying. I was
1: going to Holland Park and stuff and playing that game. Do you know what broke the game for me? Is somebody showed me an app where you can just, like, like, it's like a cheat app version of it, where you can just put in coordinates, like, GPS coordinates and catch whatever. <sighs> So I caught a bunch of all of the rare Pokemon, and then I had every Pokemon in the game, and I, I had like really high stat versions of them all that I just caught, just you know, sitting in my room and not having to go outside. It was the going outside bit. Like I had genuinely lost weight, Dave, when I was playing Pokemon Go because yeah. I was <laughs> a lot of people. I didn't. was walking around and I was fucking boss and shit. Um, but yeah, I <laughs> once I that broke the game for me. It's kind of a bit like when somebody showed me the uh, PK Hex thing. Where you can just like create a Pokemon and then upload it into into yeah. the game, like from your PC or whatever, and it, it, it counts in game as legal, so you can use it online. And I think the majority of the sort of meta game of Pokemon I spent was like hatching eggs and doing stuff. Once someone showed me that, I was like, oh, great, so I can have whatever I want. So I just made a bunch of stuff that was really good for a bunch of times online, and I was like, well, Nothing left to do here and it was the same yeah, with that like,
0: like with with Gen 1 when everybody was shown the cinnabar island cheat. Yeah.
1: You were like, well what's the point in going through the elite four like 6000 times like could just rare candy yeah. my ass. I
0: I still I still think uh, before we move on I, I still think that the the cinnabar island cheat is the most unbelievably specific <laughs> cheat in any game that I ever did. Yeah. Well, but do you know what? There's there's a bunch of them that you can do if you
1: go on like online and just look at how many really specific things that you can do in Pokemon Red and Blue to like. There's a way you can get to the Elite Four like after sort of half an hour or something in the game. Like, I, how the fuck do people find these things, Dave?
0: Uh people just you know you watch, uh, awesome games done quick and things like that, and you just marvel at how people really actively try to break games and figure out things like that you know more power to them but uh has uh jesus christ go tempted you is in is it any actually way called to, to jesus get... christ go it's jc go and i can only imagine that's what jc stands for i see uh um there's some screenshots here on the Eurogamer article and it looks hilarious jimmy cargo <laughs> or Jimmy No Cars
1: Go, if you're an Arcade Fire fan. Yeah, I uh, I do not care about this. <laughs> I did find it funny for about 30 seconds. It's kind of one of those, and this, at the end of like a news report.
0: Yeah. Um, There have been various Pokemon Go clones before. Now, I knew about Ghostbusters World, which came out relatively recently, uh, because uh, Greg Miller was involved in some kind of, they were hired to do some PR for it. Uh, him and the kind of funny guys uh but they also there's a jurassic world alive game and also the walking dead our world uh are very similar kind of takeoffs on the pokemon go concept
1: you mean no one um, did a digimon version of it
0: i know right? an absolute travesty or a Oh version Ugh. um <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah, so for, for all you lovers of Saints and Scholars, there's there's the app for you, JC. Game. I imagine that's very popular um, in your country, Dave. <laughs> Indeed. Um Hey, Jack. We're Hi, Dave. going into a very popular We're going into a very popular repeated segment on this show, which is hey, remember No Man's Sky?
1: <laughs> oh yeah, that's that crazy shit.
0: Yeah, that game that they, they every so often things just go quiet and then they release a content patch and everyone's like oh yeah this game is good now but then everyone forgets it again um so we had the no man's sky next update a few months ago which basically fixed almost everything people hated about the launch version of that game including the lack of multiplayer uh now we have a kind of a seasonal a halloween themed uh update uh I'll read here from Eurogamer. Hello Games has unveiled The Abyss, an eerie new update for its exploratory sci-fi sim, No Man's Sky, which is due to launch sometime next week. It actually has released as of time of recording. The news comes via a posting on No Man's Sky's website which revealed the majority of Hello Games team concentrating on the weekly update, bug fixes and improvements. A handful have been working on something else, our first titled update since next. Uh, they haven't detailed on what will be included in the new update known as The Abyss, but it did say that it will focus on some of the eerier elements of No Man's Sky in keeping with the theme of the season. Um, so yeah, cool. I, I, I'm a big fan of games that even... So it's over two years since that game came out. It took an absolute battering in terms of how many players fell off it and how much bad PR it had. But I am always in favour of games getting continued support and new content this far into their lifespan. Yeah, I, who's still playing this at this point? Um, still a number of people. Like, It's a game that I'll boot up every now and then, check out all the new stuff, play it for a few days, and then bounce off again. I would have to say... I have long passed the point where I got my value for money. I I think this save file that I have now, and it's not my first save file, is something like about seventy hours. Right. So I, I've definitely got value for money on it. It's just uh, we say it every time, Jack, but it's just a real shame that half this shit wasn't in it when it came out, or it would have been an absolute smash hit.
1: Yeah, is I wonder is it actually better than Elite Dangerous now?
0: uh it might well be i know i i really really like the stuff they did with that next update and uh I'd, I'd love to hear the perspective of people who never played the 1.0 who just hop on it not tainted by what the game was and only experience what it is now i just read um, too
1: many things and saw too many uh too many videos of just utter yeah. nonsense in that game for that to be me yeah i just don't have the time and i don't
0: mm. and it is one that you because you're very similar to me in the way you play games it is one that if it got its claws in your jack that'll be the end of you
1: it, it probably would be yeah I, i'd far 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 prefer to be wandering around the old west just shooting mm. nobody for no reason uh. than uh, be playing yeah. No Man's sky
0: it's like we talked about, I think, last time you were on the program, where it's just, it's probably better for you that you don't get into Minecraft. Oh, I
1: don't ever want to play Minecraft. I played it once for a few hours, and I was like, yep, I get it. It's great. i If this happens to me, it will it will kill me forever.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, some news out of EA, um, who have been, the last year or so, they've closed a couple of studios, some people have left, um... Uh, And another big name here heading out the door, Jade Raymond, head of Motive Studio, is leaving the company. Now, that name may not be familiar to people who aren't very inside baseball with video games, but uh, she previously oversaw the likes of the Assassin's Creed and Watch Dogs franchises at Ubisoft. She joined in 2015 in order to establish Montreal-based Motive Studio. Uh, Motive was the other studio heavily involved in the Amy Hennig-directed Star Wars title, which was cancelled, and Visceral Games' the studio that were mainly doing it was shut down earlier this year. Um, So it looks like pretty much anybody that touched that game is getting run the hell out of Dodge uh, at this point in time. Uh, jade raymond an incredibly uh creative and important person in the industry like uh i just said there she was one of the main people involved in in seeing and and nurturing assassin's creed into becoming the just the massive brand powerhouse that it is now um so she'll she'll be an incredible she'll have no problem finding work i'm sure and will be an incredible pickup for another studio it'll be interesting to see where she turns up
1: yeah definitely Oh, uh, what what does it mean for EA? Like, I I don't know. They kind of reshaping their, their corporate structure, do we think? Or is this something that, yeah. like, she... Obviously, they closed Visceral, and she was still kind of maybe looking after, like, the, the transition between EA being in charge of them and then being gradually shut down? Or, or, or do we think maybe she's yeah. picked up another top job... And that she'll just be on gardening leave for a wee while, and then she'll her head will reel I,
0: somewhere else. What What's the gossip on this, Dave? What's the inside track I, here? I, I I don't necessarily know because I tend to because this just happened a couple of days ago, and, and I or a few days ago, and I don't tend to listen to video game podcasts until I've recorded <laughs> the show. He says making don't want his just... own
1: video game podcast.
0: No, but what I mean is I don't want to come on here recording it and end up accidentally rabbiting what Jeff Gersman said about the same story, which like I'm very uh I, I'm very concerned that I would do that and I would take somebody else's opinions without even realizing it and just start repeating them. Uh so I don't know what everybody's official take on it is. Uh my thing just looking at some of the moves that EA has made over the last number of years is that I think they're double I think they're making an effort. There's definitely a lot riding on Anthem coming out Q1 next year, um, and I think they're doubling down on that kind of game. That that kind of game as a service, um, mass get a massive player base going, um, and, and hope that something like Anthem kicks off and work on projects like that. And then, in the other hand, the annual the the annual sports franchises rake in money hand over fist. Um, Ultimate Team alone is just an outrageous, uh, moneymaker for EA. Um, they are committing to their word. They were the studio, I believe, that were the ones that said they thought single-player gaming was dead. So, you know, in spite of the fact that Red Dead Redemption has come out, it's a single, well, it's not going to always be a single-player game because Red Dead Online is coming, but... Um, definitely single player is a huge draw for Red Dead, uh, even though games like that are coming out, EA definitely don't seem to be interested in making big single player narratives anymore. Hey, look, it's their money, they can do what they want with it, but it's just a shame that they went through this period several years ago of buying up studios or opening studios and buying up talent from other studios, uh... Uh, and then just really doing nothing with them or misusing them and then just cutting them loose again. I wonder who's like just done that.
1: Oh yeah, Microsoft. I wonder how all those are going to work <laughs> <laughs> out. Indeed.
0: Well, this is Microsoft is currently in that phase now. Like you said, yeah, this is, I think, I can't remember what the name of the studio. They bought a studio like a week or two ago and that was their sixth studio since E3 that they've bought. They announced five that they bought at E3 and now they've bought a sixth one. Um. So hopefully they, well, the thing with Microsoft, at least, is Microsoft desperately need first party exclusives because they got dick all of those. So I I, I suspect they'll treat their their new first party studios at least a little better. But yeah, I I my guess is just EA had this idea, this vision for the future of their business, and for better or worse, they're they're doubling down on it at the moment uh, to the loss of some important people, which is a shame. Moving on to a story that I'm sure you have much to say about, Jack. Literally hours before we recorded this show, um, the full list of the PlayStation Classic uh, game library has come out. This is the the miniature PS1 that's coming out this Christmas, kind of aping on the success of the, uh, the mini-Nez and the mini SNES. Uh I'll read out the list here, and then I'll throw to you and, and see what you think, my friend. Um, so we have got... Battle Arena Tushinden, Cool Borders yep. 2, Destruction Derby, Final Fantasy 7, Grand Theft Auto, Intelligent Cube, Jumping Flash, Metal Gear Solid, Mr. Driller, Oddworld, Abe's Odyssey, Rayman, Resident Evil Director's Cut, Revelations Persona, Ridge Racer Type 4, Super Puzzle Fighter 2 Turbo, Siphon Filter, Tekken 3, Tom Clancy's Rainbow Six, Twisted Metal, and Wild Arms. Nice. Um, so half of these games are
1: great, and games that I love, and I can't wait to play, and the other half of them are like, w- what game now? <laughs>
0: mm.
1: So uh, it, it's, it's a real interesting mix. Uh, I'm very, very happy that Tekken 3 is on there, because I can get Metal Gear Solid, I can get Final Fantasy, like, I could I think I have core cool Borders somewhere, but I do not have Tekken 3 anymore, and I cannot play Tekken 3, so I cannot wait to get Tekken 3 again and, and play mm-hmm. that. That will be awesome. So yeah, there is a couple of things on here. It wouldn't be complete, I don't think, without FF7 or Metal Gear Solid, because they're just like... I mean, they're, they're kind of the cornerstones for that system. They're like two of the yeah. main unit shifters that you could possibly have. They-
0: they were two of the games that showed you this is something PlayStation can do that uh N64 can't.
1: Yeah, well, Nintendo could have had Sony on board, but what did they do? And
0: they and they did have Square on well, board. What did
1: they do? They went to Philips. What are Philips yeah. doing now? They make toothbrushes and I don't know what else. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Um any glaring omissions for you?
1: Uh I mean selfishly the the fact there's no Tony Hawk game on there is yeah. a, is a I- bit
0: mm. I would, th- I would think that would be a case of prohibitively expensive to relicense all that music. I don't give a fuck. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's what I mean. Like, it, if I'm going to go, like,
1: oh, what could sensibly be on there, then yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, but then, I mean, if I wanted to go really weird, I'd say I'd like uh, Brian Lara Cricket for the original PlayStation <laughs> to be on there, a game that I played a lot. Pe- peeps were mad that there was no Tomb Raiders on there. Uh, yeah.
0: I saw a great tweet from Barry today, which is Guys, I know you think you want to play those old Tomb Raider games again, but you don't.
1: No, you don't, because you run and you jump and you fall off a platform because the camera changes angle and then you do it again and again yeah. and again.
0: But let's be honest, a good half of people who want Tomb Raider on this PlayStation Classic only want to lock the butler in the fridge and never play it yeah, again. Yeah, that's
1: what I'd be doing, yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Black hat. <laughs> um, hey i'm not the... murdering the butler but if i could i would the other one i was thinking that i was kind of a little bit surprised by was parappa yeah parappa would have been nice
1: are they not bringing out like uh, a no. remastered version of that like or, or... oh yeah it's, it, it already, yeah, already it came, out. It came out last yeah, christmas yeah. so that's why yeah. that's on there they want people to buy that yeah i'm happy though it's a nice little testament to the era it's a nice little bit of uh of memorabilia that that's kind of all I wanted yeah. it for, and but I will be playing the fuck out of Tekken Three, by the way. Uh, Dave, come over to England, come to my house, and play Tekken Three with me. I am going to murder you on Tekken Ball mode.
0: Well, one thing I really like about the PlayStation Classic is that it automatically comes with two controllers exactly uh, in the box, which is good. Yep. Um, speaking of a game we talked about a lot at the top of the show, Red Dead Redemption Two second bis- biggest uk physical launch of the year uh, behind have you read this st- fifa 19 oh, okay.
1: really fifa still that popular wow
0: dude fifa specifically in the uk uh just from doing this show now for three and a half years nearly um like fifa is almost never out of the top 10 in the uk
1: yeah, fair enough. We're in a football obsession, and the,
0: there's usually like an overlap of a week or two where the old FIFA and the new FIFA are both still in the top twenty. <laughs> wow, is that true now? Yeah, I, I don't know. I haven't looked at the the latest charts, um, but yeah, it's so. Uh, I'll read the story anyway. It launched last Friday to impressive physical sales, becoming the second biggest launch of 2018, so far behind FIFA 19. It's been eight years since Red Dead 1 launched, and in that time, Rockstar's Western series has become a household name. It's no surprise then that it doubled the week one sales of its predecessor. That's not bad going. And that is, of course, without digital sales counted. Include those, and it will have even further outsold Red Dead 1 uh it's the biggest launch for any PlayStation 4 or Xbox One game that is not FIFA or Call of Duty. Wow. <laughs> Which is such a massive caveat but a like a necessary one. Uh Red Dead 2 has also beaten several of the recent Call of Duty launches including last year's World War 2 and this year's Black Ops 4. Uh, but Grand Theft Auto Five, Rockstar's last game, sold two million copies in its original launch week. Uh, a number of Red Dead Redemption Two does not look get does not get close to troubling. Sixty eight percent of Red Dead Two copies were sold on PlayStation Four, where the console's timed exclusive bits and pieces launched first, despite the game looking best on Xbox One X. Other new releases for the week included Paw Patrol on a Roll, Nickelodeon Kart Racers, My Hero 1's Justice, and Just Dance 2019, which all, I'm sure, got absolutely dude, annihilated who, in the sales. Who, who is
1: available in Nickelodeon Kart Racers? Can we get a roster of that?
0: Giant Bomb actually did do a quick look of it, and it's, um... I won't spoil it, but it's, it's something, Jack. Look up that video when we're done here. No, nah, dude, it's I want to know thing. who's
1: in Nickelodeon
0: Kart Racers. Spoil the fuck out of it. Dude, I- no, I'm not spoiling that oh. shit. You, you, I, I, I gotta make you look at that game and see what oh, it is. I mean,
1: I... Um, oh, please, like, is there a Keenan and Kel cart?
0: <laughs> I'm saying nothing. Oh,
1: man. there must be.
0: I'm saying oh. nothing. No, there's not. It's, it's Nicktoons, man. There's no Keenan and Kel, unfortunately. Oh. It would be the biggest news in the world, and we would have dedicated an entire show to it. If that was the can case, can you imagine?
1: Like all of um, those, like is it that so Raven and stuff used to be on there? And oh. that was was that not Disney oh, Channel? Was it?
0: I thought, yeah, Amanda show was. Oh right,
1: yeah, Amanda's. Oh yeah, but that would just be sad now after what happened to her. Yeah, Popcorn Social. Peace. Um, sh- hashtag. <laughs>
0: um, a bit of sad news for myself and Mark Wargroove, the spiritual successor to Advance Wars has been delayed into into the first quarter of 2019. This is the launch press conference for the the Switch. I believe was the first time we saw Wargroove and we were like what the shit is this? It's fucking Advance Wars. Oh my god. Oh my god. Oh my god. And we've been begging for Wargroove ever since. Every time there's been a indie showcase or a direct, we want that Wargroove release date. But sadly, it is being pushed uh into next year we always say on this show jack that uh we much prefer a game to delay itself if it's going to come out working rather than force it out now if it's broken in little bits uh were you an advanced wars guy is wargroove a game that you will be looking out out for when it comes out next no, year
1: wargroove sounds like a ban that i wouldn't want to see <laughs> <laughs> I, I i genuinely look i was That's looking fair. down the uh the run run through of the show dave and i was like yep heard that yep heard that okay yep sure i saw war groove and i was like nah no idea <laughs> and i listened to your shows and, uh, yeah, and, I know, and yeah. it has just not stuck in my head i haven't did you, do you just want to give me like a 30 second primer as to what
0: war groove is i very simple it's advanced wars but on the switch
1: okay that's ba- that's basically it. That was it. like three seconds. What are you going to do with the rest yeah. of your twenty seven?
0: Um, I don't know. Do some improv or some shit. Yeah. Actually, I'll I'll move on to the next and final story. Is Dave, what what's the and deal with is...
1: airline food? <laughs>
0: <laughs> what's the deal with airline peanuts? Here is my favorite story of the the whole la- last two weeks. Uh, obviously, we didn't record last week uh, because Mark sprung on me on air. That i'd need to find a co-host and it was too late to try and draft you in <laughs> but uh thanks for that again mark by the way really appreciate it i like um, you, mark <laughs> best story of the last two weeks so we followed the puddle gate story in the build-up to the release of Sp- uh, the ballad of joe spider-man on the ps4 a few weeks back and the 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 piss babies giving out about the removal of a puddle from an E3 demo in the final version of the game uh accusing the game of scaling down its graphics and its uh just the the game in general um which turned out to be completely unfounded the game came out and it was a technical marvel and a fucking brilliant game to play and one of my favorite games of the whole year however <laughs> the insomniac have not forgotten the, the Puddlegate controversy and have decided to have a little bit of fun at the expense of those people. Uh, remember Spider-Man 4's Puddle... Uh, PS4's Puddlegate? Ahead of the game's release, people got hollowed under the collar about an adjustment in puddle placement in a scene which sees far less water coverage. There was a kerfuffle, but inevitably, when the game came out, people started playing and enjoying it. The kerfuffle evaporated. Anyway, Puddlegate looked like this. So the, the, the Eurogamer article has the before and after of the water effect. Now, developer Insomniac has issued a playful fix for Spider-Man's Puddlegate, and it comes in the form of Puddle Stickers. So there's a photo mode in Spider-Man where you can add some fun, wacky stickers to, to your photo that you can share on social media. And in the latest patch, they've specifically added Puddle Stickers. And I thought, as a way to kind of go, haha, fuck yourselves... We were right in the end. I I thought this was a magnificent way to put a full stop on that argument. Insomniac
1: has just nailed absolutely everything about this Spider Man so far. Like, it is genuinely great. Like, and this is just the icing on the cake is that it's like, yeah, we did this and everyone complained about it. And the idea now that, like, you can then go and do something like this as a joke, like, it kind of felt like for a while initially. Because I know you always seem to think I'm some sort of like gigantic South Park fan. Uh, <laughs> 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 but when they initially. St- I've seen the tattoo. Yeah, when the. <laughs> Cartman on my left bollock. When they initially yeah. started doing that thing where they would make an episode in a week and it would be about whatever pop culture thing was big, that. I- it blew my mind and it was really cool. And then after a while, you just get really fatigued by it. But the fact that someone can now do this with a video game, with something interactive, where they can be like, "Oh, everyone ragged us on this, so we're just going to put this in." I think that's so fucking cool that they can do that. And yeah, I, I just, I've got nothing but love for Insomniac from just minute one of this whole Spider Man thing and ah yes i i've played a little bit of uh of the the next dlc but red dead redemption happened so yeah i i I can't wait to to sort of get to grips with it i know it's only a few hours long but i might save it up actually until the next one comes out and then just do them back to back over a weekend or something but yeah thumbs up insomniac you are glorious yeah indeed
0: uh, that's going to draw a close to our news for this week and now we're going to go into the linked cast book club which is our feature every week where we talk about uh, an important game for the past that you should play for the first time if you haven't before or play again if it's been a long old while we've got an absolute classic uh, this week on the schedule and one that I was stunned on the last uh, episode of this podcast to learn we hadn't covered yet now myself and Jack are going to address that as we go back to 1996 and talk about a game called Resident Evil <coughs> Resident Evil, known in Japan as Biohazard, is a survival horror horror video game developed and released by Capcom originally for the PlayStation in 1996, and is the first game in the Resident Evil series. It is Capcom's best-selling debut game with sales of over 8.63 million copies worldwide. The game's plot follows Chris Redfield and Jill Valentine, members of an elite task force known as STARS, as they investigate the outskirts of Raccoon City following the disappearance of their team members. They soon become trapped in a mansion infested with zombies and other monsters. The player, having selected to play as Chris or Jill at the start of the game, must explore the mansion to uncover its secrets. Jack, Resident Evil. Uh, a name synonymous with not only the PlayStation, but with horror video games in general, and was one of the the two big uh, '90s attempts by Japan to recreate a Western horror feel in video games. The other being Silent Hill, uh, one of my favorite video game series of all time. The series I would lean more towards in a in a personal taste sort of thing, but it's. I think it it's to, to say Resident Evil it was an important and influential and era-defining game, I think even saying that is putting it mildly. Uh, when was the first time you heard of or encountered Resident Evil?
1: So I so very briefly saw one of my friends playing it. Um, like the, this Resident Evil game, like when I was around his house just as I, yeah. I was sort of towards the end of primary school but like the first real encounter i had with uh resident evil game was my friend matthew biggs got resident evil 2 and like you know those saturdays when you're like 12 and you're not old enough to go out but you are old enough to to have like <laughs> a personality and you are old enough to not just be like you know doing stupid stuff or running around in circles because you're not a kid anymore and he's like, What do you wanna to do today? And he's like, I just got Resident Evil Two. Let's just complete it. So we did. We just sat there and we just fucking like just bashed through Resident Evil two and played the whole thing. And yeah. After that I went back and played Resident Evil One and I loved it. I, I really do. I think it's it's quite a sim like it's quite a simplistic idea. Um and if you kind of... I mean, they've taken and blown the the lore and stuff of the game apart now in a sort of Kojima-like way of, <laughs> of it being really convoluted, like if you look too far into what they did and, you know, creating like zero <coughs> and all of the offshoots of it. But this is a basic, simple story of you guys are in a task force and there's some really shady shit going on in this town and around this mansion, go investigate and it, I love the way it gradually unfolds itself, um Dave, I wanted to ask you as a as a sort of more of a a historian of the video games than me is this ah. the is this the first time you got in like a big mainstream game to choose to be whether a male or a female main protagonist in a game
0: I was thinking about this and i i I couldn't tell you for for absolute like for absolutely sure i I think I would say for our generation and the the games that really captured the hearts of people in our age group, it's the first one I remember where you could pick a, a, a male or a female protagonist. And sadly, that's still a thing in video games that isn't really... They haven't got up to speed on it. It
1: is, but I don't think anyone would have questioned it then, because they would probably just been like, oh yeah, cool, right? Like I did that when yeah. I played through the game, I did play as Jill because I was like, "Why the fuck would
0: you?" Yeah. We? Yeah. Um. So like that—that's really good about it, and I think it's a thing that when people look back on, on Resident Evil, when I was doing my my research for this program, I, I, I it's not one of the talking points people dwell on very long. Uh, but I think in an era where. If a female character was uh, played a prominent role in a video game, it was as a bit of ridiculously disproportionate eye candy. Um, I I think having a proper female protagonist with a with an arc with a story to go through is kind of refreshing because this is also happening in parallel to, shall we say. For want of a better term, the ridiculous graphics and physics of one Lara Croft. Yes,
1: do you know what they um, do? I was thinking about this when um, when I was like just reading through like some old stuff about Resident Evil, just to remind myself did Assassin's Creed Odyssey like not come out less than a month ago and they were like you can be a main character either a boy or a girl in our game and I was like motherfucking Resident Evil was doing this like 22 years ago
0: yeah it's and and like sadly it is still a thing where it is a a USP like it's not a thing that you get in every game it's a thing that uh, some developers try to fob off as oh if you're going to do a male and female then you need twice the development time things like that not necessarily. If you get clever with it, you you don't really need to do completely separate arcs for two different. Yeah, people. they intertwine their um, stories
1: really well. So it, yeah. if anything, the, the the replayability factor on this game is high because if you play through as Jill first time, you want to go back and play through as Chris and see what the different challenges are and see yeah. how you interact with the other members of the Stars Unit. The the fact that Without making any spoilers if if people want to go and buy their their mini playstations um and go and play this for like <laughs> the first time that uh, i i can 't remember many games up to that point as well having like i think there's at least four or five endings to this game
0: yeah it would be and, and funnily enough it would be um Silent Hill was similar in that and I think I, I can't remember how many endings Silent Hill 1 has but I know a couple of years later Silent Hill 2 had six endings I think there's five there's five endings and then the true ending uh, to that Um. so yeah it, it, maybe it was something about the horror genre in particular that it was more I don't know if acceptable or encouraged to push narrative boundaries and try something a little bit different I guess you do have to try and break with the norm when you're doing horror in video games, um, because it is a little bit different than just your standard action game or your standard uh, charming collectathon platformer or whatever. Um, Jack, something I want to I want to throw at you here, and actually just just to time stamp when we're recording this, I just got breaking news that Real Madrid have sacked their manager as we're recording this. <laughs> yeah,
1: that that that's his horror just,
0: show moment of the day. Uh, yeah, an absolute shocker. But speaking of horror, I want to talk about one of the, the most indelible uh, features of the original Resident Evil game. I, come down to two words, and I, I want to see how you tee off on this. Two words, Jack. Voice acting. Yeah. <laughs> um, th- this was not... Uh, this was not a a localized English cast that was winning any great awards, would you say? No,
1: it, it's a bit... I, I kind of feel like, Dave... Uh, and yeah, I feel like if this game came out in 1996 and we, we were on a podcast, we'd probably be burying it, feeling a bit clunky and a bit awkward. But to
0: me now, it just adds to the charm of the game. <laughs> like... Yeah, it's... There's something like... And, and it is, again... I think if this was an action game or a different genre, I think it would get buried deep beneath the earth much more than it does for the the level of voice acting. But there's something about campy, bad acting in horror that just, it's endearing, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I think so. I don't think it was a specific choice that they made, but um, uh, games come in translation-wise from Japan to England back then, like it took so long to do. And I feel like it was yeah. a bit more of an afterthought. Like, that let's. <laughs> We're still fucking waiting on Mother Three. Yeah. Like- <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> so yeah, okay. So it's still a problem even now. But it, um, it it was it was what it was in that sense. Like, yeah, I, it it kind of feels wooden. I I just you're right. It's a slasher film thing, isn't it? Like the the bad acting yeah. and stuff. It 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 adds to the charm of it, in my opinion. But then again, when I played this yeah. the first time, I was also like a an early teen so I had no real concept, I think of, of what was and wasn't particularly bad acting you might tell me you've got yeah. more of a sense of like ironic detachment at that age but I just accepted it at face value for what it was
0: yeah I am um, so I to, to get into kind of personal impressions as well about the the the, the whole game I want to talk about a couple of memorable moments here. And Jack, I'm a guy who, I'm mean, as you know, through Popcorn Social and this program, uh, I am a huge fan of horror. Whether it's horror movies, uh, books, or video games, anything like that. Horror, I love it. Uh, whether it's for the the actual earnest spookiness of them, or just some of the camp aesthetic, or just... I am very much appreciate the craft of horror. Um, in a way that I I appreciate not everybody does. Um, particularly my, my usual co-host, Mark, has no time for horror. <laughs> yeah. uh, I think we got through something like five minutes of PT and he would not take, pick the controller up anymore. Um, iconic moments from Resident Evil. Now, I would generally say that even though I'm a huge fan of horror and I consume a lot of horror not a lot of horror would genuinely terrify me or scare me or make me jump you know you get the odd jump scare that will get you a little bit but i i genuinely would be 90% of the time unfazed and that's not that's not me just going oh look how cool i am i'm very unaffected by horror it just I, I don't know what it is. I've just it. it the horror doesn't really get to me. Get I find it funny. Way.
1: Horror a lot of the time, especially yeah.
0: supernatural horror. Do you know what scared me? Yeah. Uh, mini- Fre- Fre- Freddy Krueger, man. Freddy Krueger is fucking yeah. hilarious. Mini
1: Popcorn Social again. I want to see. F- I want to <laughs> see First Man. That uh, that th- the Ryan Gosling, Neil Armstrong film, which we will talk about on our yeah. next episode of the Popcorn Social in twenty twenty. Um, and I th- there's a bit where like they're in space and they go into like a sort of like a spin like a terminal spin just going round and round and round and like the g's are building up and they're losing control of i find that more terrifying than anything i see in a supernatural horror film because that is legitimate like if you are spinning around in a tin can in space you're fucked like there are no such things as like demons and zombies and all of that shit so that that's funny to me the, the scariest film ever to me is like contagion that gwyneth paltrow movie where she dies in the first yeah. 10 minutes because if a big like really easy to pass around virus did get into the the atmosphere or something, we're all fucked. We're all dead. That's scary. Resident Evil is not scary. Resident Evil is sort of campy horror to me, and that's why I like it. That's why I like the bad voice acting. It's why I I like the telegraph moments. Now, later Resident Evils, like Resident Evil 6, that will shake your bones.
0: (laughs) Man, Resident Evil 7 from last year, a lot of people just... Yeah, 7, sorry, I said 6. 6 was bad uh yeah seven really got to a lot of people um and i think we talked about it before on the show but the way that did a kind of almost scatter shot approach to horror in as much as pretty much any type of horror or any type of freaky thing from horror movies you can think of they did their take on it so that hopefully during the course of the whole game at least everybody was gotten to once um but when i think of like i said games back then with the exception of I think Silent Hill 2 is the one game that ever got to me and it doesn't get to me anymore but it did at the time because I played it when I was fucking 12 when it came out and yeah that game creeped the shit out of me as well it should it's the greatest horror game ever made I'll fight any man on that one but um, for the the vast majority of my memories of Resident Evil it, it didn't really get to me because a lot of it is as we said that kind of campy zombie movie sort of telegraphed setting. However, Jack, I will say one thing and I know this will resonate with you and it'll resonate with most people at home who can probably already guess where this sentence is going to finish. but when the dog comes through the window,
1: yeah yeah, fuck that.
0: I nearly threw the PlayStation out of my house <laughs> There is th- <laughs> or out of my friend's house because but it was you in know his what house there nearby, is a moment like that. I
1: remember Resident Evil 2 the first time I, we encountered a liquor. And you just saw that pool of blood dripping from the ceiling and you're like, huh, there's blood coming from the... Oh my fucking God. And a liquor just lands on you and just starts wrenching loose you from the mortal coil and it just shits you up. But yeah, that rabid ass dog coming through the window. <laughs> that is an ultimate all time video game jump scare. That Yeah. And yeah. I-, I was, I must say like the first time you see the tyrant in this game, I was a little bit yeah. unnerved by that as well. Like it what the fuck is that why why is that happening why is that thing what are they trying to do with this and like the seediness yeah. of the umbrella corporation i think i like yeah. that i like the fact that they build it up like
0: i i i do yeah i do love a shadowy seedy pseudo governmental kind of organization yeah, it was one like, of the th- until it got to pass the point of parody yeah, umbrella corporation. exactly it's
1: kind of the one of the things i liked about venom was um rizom again popcorn so is is Riz, is, <laughs> oh, is is Riz Ahmed's, like creepy lab boy who's trying to bond people to symbiotes but so the, the further yeah. you delve in
0: that was so yeah, umbrella it, it was, it the, really it was, was. I,
1: I sat there and i thought did i actually message you that at the time i was like this feels like no i don't think it this is this feels like something the umbrella corporation would do like i was expecting miller yeah hohovich or or whatever her name was from the movies yeah that's it i like to say hohovich um but yeah (laughs) uh anyway sorry I've, i've distracted i've massively distracted myself uh but yes i i am a big fan as a boss in this playstation era of that tyrant boss i think the fact that you not only have the option to beat it, but you also have the option to let it roam free. So if there's never never been another Resident Evil, like, the worst outcome of the game is that you've basically lost everyone and you've let this tyrant loose on the world. Kind of like a Jurassic World 2 kind of ending. But, like, the best aspect of it is that you save everybody and you murder the boss. Yeah. I think that's really a really cool approach to to a final boss fight. Like it's a game you can beat without being the final boss, but when you do it's so goddamn rewarding.
0: Absolutely. And it is like there's an art to bosses in that kind of game and I, I like I said I think they do nail it perfectly and giving the option to basically being, a, being able to finish the game without beating the boss is a really clever way of solving that problem before it even comes up because they're, I know at a certain point, bosses started to become passe just because of the preponderance of games trying to top themselves with the ridiculously difficult boss. It kind of burnt out the concept for a long time. Um, but yeah, the way Resident Evil tackles it is fantastic. Do you have any other, before we, we get to the end here um, and, and wrap it up, any other abiding memories of the original Resident Evil to hit on before we, we, we wrap up? Here? I mean, I already got into it, but yeah, the
1: Umbrella Corporation is, yeah. it's really cool. Like, cause yeah, it's like a little bit yeah. cheesy. Like, oh, it's an Umbrella Corporation, but like, I remember just getting further into it and then, when I was that age, that's when I, I really started getting into James Bond and stuff like that. So, like, any yeah. sort of company that, like, on the face of it is yeah. like, we're good, but then deep down, you just knew those fuckers were evil. So, like, the
0: Goddamn when Spectre. you, like,
1: start revealing all the laboratories and stuff, and you realise, like, what they've done with this T-Virus, you're like, motherfuckers, how could they do this? Like, and I remember getting, like, <laughs> really angry about it, but yeah, I, uh, I, I, I just it's a game that it's a game that brought me an immense amount of joy. For, it, it, it's weird because for like a, such a dark game, such a horror game, there is a real connection to this one. And I, I don't know if it was just the yeah. age that I played it at. Maybe it was. Maybe it was the, the day of bonding playing Resident Evil 2 that like really made me happy when I got Resident Evil and played through that as well. I was like, oh, there's another one. I can I can go and play this other one. This is the first one and then I'll understand more what, what's happening in this one. But yeah, it, it it's the a general experience of an art form and I mean it's it's a franchise now that's sort of become impossibly big compared to what anybody yeah. could would probably have expected. And, yeah, now you can play Resident Evil 7 in VR, but I don't know why you would do that unless you wanted to never sleep ever again. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, true. So, so, so yeah, um, it's a
1: series that evolved a lot, and I the, the humble beginnings of this game are, are more than worth checking out. Because I I, I, I I know you normally give it to the other person, but I quite like you to do the elevator pitch for this one, Dave. Because you, yeah, you you're so sh- rarely... Like, get a really good shot at an elevator pitch, and I think, like, you can sell this one. So that's why I'm wrapping up my thoughts here.
0: Uh, One thing I will say before I launch into the elevator pitch is that I think the GameCube remake of Resident Evil 1 is fucking boss. And if you can get your hands on that version of it, do that. There were so many versions of it as well. Oh yeah, sure, it's on PS4 as well. They remade the GameCube remake for PS4 and Xbox One. Uh, but it's not as good as if you if you do have a GameCube and you can get hands on that remake. Uh, check it out. There was out. a DS anyway, as well, wasn't there? I, I would not be surprised if it is available on my toaster. <laughs> um, oh dear! Second only to Skyrim in terms of ports, I would imagine. But anyway, and it's still broken. Uh, let's hit that elevator pitch. So, coming from the 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 mind of a horror fan here. Uh, And someone who loved that late 90s, early 2000s period of Eastern interpretation of Western horror. Uh, I think whereas, as I said at the top, my personal preference is towards Silent Hill because I think what that does is gives... Western horror and Eastern spin. It's its definitely still very J-horror in a lot of its sensibilities. I think this is the most tonally... This and Resident Evil 2 are the most tonally perfect reinterpretations of western horror by japanese developers it has got all the good and all the bad of western horror in it it is scary at points both in terms of just the 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 concept and the, the story that that's told and things like the tyrant as you mentioned uh it's also got the jump scares that western horror likes to rely on a lot the dog coming through the window and several other moments like that Um, it's got the arch kind of campiness of a lot of Western horror. We talked about the voice acting. Now, not necessarily intentional, that part of it. I think that was just really bad acting. But that is something that occurs a lot across horror, that even if you're watching a bad horror movie, if the acting is equally bad, it makes it very, very enjoyable. Um, It is just a love letter to everything about... the zombie movies if you're a fan of Romero movies a fan of just western horror in general as I said this is the game for you there is very there are very few horror games that happened after 1996 that don't have some Resident Evil DNA in it so it is definitely worth either getting a PlayStation classic or or tracking down a version of this game that you can play as a historical artifact and on top of that with the Resident Evil 2 full remake coming out next year i think it is an excellent primer to introduce you to this crazy crazy world uh, of resident evil it's a it's an absolute masterpiece by the way uh, every time i, of, I remember
1: that ps4 remastered like graphical version of resident evil 2 comes out i just get a little bit more excited I just.
0: I know. It's, it's out very early next year oh, as well. Oh, wait. I'm, I'm, coming, so I'm coming
1: back on the show to talk about it.
0: Robinson, be damned. damned. That... <laughs>
1: I'm on. <laughs> well, he's not going to play it. <laughs> Probably not.
0: <laughs> and uh, that trailer as well for the Resident Evil 2 remake is awesome. But yeah, that's uh, Resident Evil 1. Um, Jack, thank you very much for being on the show. That uh, concludes episode 1. <laughs> Only about half of it
1: was actually about video games. <laughs>
0: Yeah, well, that's how things tend to go with the two yeah. of us. But uh, th- this podcast is available on SoundCloud, iTunes, and most podcasting platforms. Just search for Link to the Cast, subscribe, rate, review, tell a friend. It all helps. The website is linktothecast.eu or linktothecast.wordpress.com. If you want to get in touch with us, the email address is cast at gmail.com. Social media, the best way to keep up to date with our content and to hear back from us in a reliably quick period of time, facebook.com forward slash cast and at cast on Twitter individually on the tweet machine jack is at jack lazel and i am at the day to dave uh, if games aren't your only interest we sometimes <laughs> have other podcasts oh do you tell me about yeah them. uh there's this show called the popcorn social jack you might have heard okay of it. yeah uh, two dulcet dulcet-toned young I men uh, intermittently talk about films how in- intermittently which... is this well, on this program, it's about fifty percent <laughs> that's quite <laughs> uh, but yeah we're 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 hoping to get one of those in the can quite soon. They're like some of my favorite things, and some of the the listeners out there it's some of their favorite content we do, so we will make an active attempt. I have an idea for a Christmas special of that show as well that we must talk about off the air. okay, anyway, Jingle all uh, the way with doing that <laughs> uh we've also got uh the grap up which in one form or another we'll make a comeback uh, just keep an eye to that the but glass podcasts... will break <laughs> and it will emerge yeah <laughs> and our most intermittent podcast of all once every two years we do podcasts about football tournaments but uh, these podcasts plus our weekly link to the cast flagship broadcast are all available in the same feed so just subscribe to links link to the cast and that will do the trick and of course if there's any episodes you want to go back to if there's a game you think we must have covered because we probably have 120 episodes in 127 episodes in uh, have a search on the website. There's probably an episode there or search in your podcast archive, whatever, Silent download, Hill enjoy. Too. And hey, because, oh, we've definitely done that. And uh, because we're starting to, look, we've still got a, a fair whack of ideas going forward. But if, if somebody sees any glaring omissions like Resident Evil, how I didn't cop till last week, we'd never done that. I'll never know. But if anybody notices glaring omissions, aggr- give me a That shout. aggressive
1: inline episode is coming. Yeah,
0: I know, right? <laughs> Uh, give me a shout out on the tweet machine either at link to the cast or at the day to Dave and I'll make a mental note of it and we'll hopefully come to it but anyway that's been episode 127 of link to the cast I've been Dave Ryan the man on the line has been Jack Lazell we shall talk to you all with the return of Mark Robinson next week Marcus Alonso's
1: got lovely hair